It's OLWJ Captivation, unlimited enthusiasm toward the future. The podcast introducing you to boundless superstars and other professional individuals who are capable of providing you information on achieving maximum success. Segments and episodes of the podcast will be devoted to financial wellness, for everyone deserves a shot at broadening their financial horizon. I am the host, Otis Lewis Wilson Jr. Welcome. First, you know what I must do, send special thanks to you, the audience and special guest who make this podcast possible. To you, I say thank you. Make sure you tell a friend so that they can check it out as well. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Chanel Hancock. Although blind since birth, she has achieved many great successes. This includes graduating from college, achieving the ability to speak multiple languages, hosting several podcasts, and much more. Without further ado, here is a recorded interview with Chanel Hancock on OLWJ Captivation, the podcast in which the letters represent my name. Chanel, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Let's get things started by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Chanel Patrice Hancock. I'm 44 years old, um, visually impaired. And I'm a podcaster, linguist, um, traveler, foodie. Um, I am from Cleveland, Ohio originally. I live in Akron, Ohio currently. And I have a nine-year-old guide dog, Labrador Retriever named Bono. And um, I was the former president of the uh, Summit County uh, chapter of the National Federation of the Blind of Ohio for two years. And I also spent two years as the vice president of the Cleveland chapter. Um, I have a degree in theater studies from Kent State University in um, class of 06. And I have a film certification from the Los Angeles Film School in directing, screenwriting, and producing, class of 07. And I have my certification to teach English as a foreign language from bridge.edu out of Denver, Colorado. Um, I can teach business English and English for young learners. I also teach other languages um, using audio methods um, in conjunction with the internet, food, and any other hobbies you may have. Um, I have two podcast shows. One is The Blind Vegan, um, and I actually make um, vegan um, dishes from scratch, and I share them on my podcast show, and I also have a language learning podcast show called Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast, where I talk about language learning from a visually impaired perspective which is mostly my, my way of doing it, which is immersion and um, audio methods with the internet. And um, I also interview uh, industry experts, um, such as like Dr. Stephen Krashen, Richard Simcott, uh, Ollie Richards from uh, storytelling.com. 
and um, there's a few others. Um, I also do advocacy for people that are blind and visually impaired, um, immigrants, um, and I, I like to travel, I like to cook foods from all over the world, and uh, I like to hang out with friends and have a good time. Wow, you've got an extensive resume there, Chanel, extensive resume. Let's start by talking about your blindness and visual impairment. Mm-hmm. Were you born blind or did you lose your sight? What happened there? I uh, was not born blind, but um, I wound up having what's called retinopathy of prematurity where I had too much oxygen on the eyes. I was born three months premature, and due to that and them not covering my eyes, uh, my eyes didn't develop very well, so they had to do two surgeries, one in 80, one in 81, uh, when I was three and four years old. And I was they were able to save the sight in my left eye, which made me legally blind, which means that I could read large print. Um, I was a large print reader. Um, and I wrote longhand and I did learn braille at eight, but because I had usable vision, um, I was, uh, mostly a print reader up until I was about 30. Um, so I used audio, a lot of audio and a lot of, a lot of large print until I couldn't read anymore. And then I went straight to audio. Um, I... By the time I was 14, I had went to 10 different schools in about six different states, ranging from Ohio to North Carolina, um, Buffalo, New York, uh, Alabama, and uh, where else did I go? New Jersey. <laughs> so, so for me, uh, and that's before I reached, you know, adulthood. So, um, my mom thought at a certain age I needed to go to um, the blind school, the Ohio State School for the Blind, because I was being severely bullied um, to the point where, you know, people put paint on my chair. People were putting, um, sharpening their pencils in the manual uh, pencil sharpener. And this is back in the, like 1990. I was about 13. And, uh, they would poke pencils in the back of my neck and throw basketballs and books. And it was just terrible. So my mother, the last straw was when um, I had a water hose turned on me the last day of my seventh grade year in North Carolina by a bunch of kids. And uh, she was like, oh, I'm not, you, I don't want you in the ground. So uh, she tried every school she could find. And the public schools just didn't have the equipment or the funds to be able to have me at their school. So I wound up going to the Ohio State School for the Blind for seven years. And I graduated um, when I was 22. And uh, it was two weeks after my mom passed away from endocarditis. So um, yeah, I while I was there, I, I thrived in sports and um, was on cheerleading squad, track team, uh, forensics team, and uh, I was manager of my swim team for four years, and I had a part-time job, and 
two different choirs, did a whole bunch of like volunteer work and um, Ohio National Food Bank, American Diabetes Association, Red Cross, um, the YMCA. Um, I even worked for two months doing um, customer service for Pizza Hut of Worthington. Um, so yeah, I, I did a, a variety of different things and I even traveled to, uh, I was selected to go to Washington DC for close up and visit our nation's capital for a week. And, um, that's what kind of, uh, wanted me to go into, you know, politics or at least study it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the whole time I was, uh, you know, a large print reader, so I didn't need Braille. It was in the back of my head, but I didn't, I wasn't permitted to use it because of your low vision and you have a uh, usable vision. They encourage the ones who have some sight to use it because you, you're in a sighted world and, you know, they won't accommodate as much for someone that's um, low vision versus someone that has no sight at all. Mm-hmm. So, and they still do this today, by the way. <laughs> yes. So, so, so for me, you know, I had tape recorders and I had pens and pencils and notebooks and that's what I used. I had no, no type of like talking devices or anything like that. I didn't even own a computer until I was in college. When you were in school mm-hmm. and uh, working and things of that nature, mm-hmm. what made you decide to pursue the degrees in college that you pursued? Well, a lot of it was um, when I got out of school, I took a year off. Um, you know, and most people who have money take a gap year. But I, I you know, me being on disability, I, I took a year off because my mother had passed away and I needed to have some mourning time for me personally because that was the only parent in my life. So um, when I, I started at uh, Cuyahoga Community College in Cleveland. And, you know, I started off as an education major, then I went to a poli-sci major, then I went to a Spanish major, then I went to an English major. And then I decided once and for all to do theater because I could do a different variety of things under that degree, not just act and direct. And um, I've always been someone that's about the professional performing arts. I was in art classes and I did choir and music class and theater. So for me, it was just a no brainer. Plus I wasn't a math and science geek. I was lucky to get C's in both. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, I mean, I was more um, liberal arts than I was Mm -hmm the sciences. So um, for me, you know, I was about the ethics and the philosophy and psychology, sociology and history and languages and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I just, it it was just something that I, you know, I said, if I'm going to college, I'm going to go for what I want because I know a lot of people, they go to college and they just go because either their parents want them to or you know, it's not something that they really choose to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not by choice. And I was the the first person in my family on both sides to graduate with a college degree. And and this is when people didn't think, you know, because I had a visual impairment that I could go to college. Right. You know, and that, you know, a lot of people still have that stigma that if you're 
have low vision or you're blind and there's something wrong with your brain, which is not even the case. Um, there's a lot of people out there in the disability world that actually are phenomenal human beings and you would be surprised what they come up with as far as, you know, their level of creativity and intellect. So, you know, I always tell people don't knock somebody until you see what their real potential is and don't expect them to have to prove themselves to you because the only person they have to prove anything to is themselves. This is so true, so true. So when you found yourself graduating, mm -hmm. where were you at this point in your life? What was your thought process? I couldn't wait to get the hell out of college because <laughs> here's the big wide world. And, and, and before that, I had moved all my stuff. I took the last two refund checks I had. And I bought two plane tickets. One was a round trip ticket to um, Los Angeles. And the other one was one way because I had just got accepted to film school after that which I took out a private loan and it was like for $65,000. Now mind you at 29, 20, yeah, 29, I was 28 when I graduated. Um, cause I, I went to college at 23, which was a good thing because at 23 you're declared independent. So then your parents aren't responsible for your loans or anything. You mm -hmm. are. So I was kind of happy about that. So, um, I did it in like five years. I, you know, I mean, I took my time. I could have done it quicker, but I wanted to enjoy the, the experience of what college has to offer. So um, for me personally, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of Ohio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the part that I couldn't wait. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I, went, I stayed in California for three years, even though it was a one-year program. And I can actually say, you know, yeah, I had my trials and tribulations while I was in Los Angeles, you know, but I, it, it, you know, it was an experience I would never forget. I will say that when you're the only person in a class full of fully sighted people ranging from 18 to like 65 years old, you you learn a lot from people, but you also see how they treat you. And a lot of them were kind of standoffish. Um, a lot of them, you know, didn't know how to, you know, they saw my disability. They didn't see me. I mean, they actually thought I couldn't um, carry an equipment um, case. And this was a lighting case with lighting equipment in it, okay? Mm -hmm. It looked it looked like a big huge trunk with a big huge handle. Right. And I care I picked that sucker up and carried it across the freaking parking lot. Mm -hmm. And they were like, "She can't do that." And it was like, "Oh, she's doing it." And it's like, I was like, "Well, what makes you think I can't do it?" What? Right. I mean, I'm not limited. The only person who has limitations are you. Mm -hmm. You know. So I mean, but and there was a lot of proving myself to people because. They just weren't exposed to someone like me. And until this day, you still have a lot of people out in society, whether they're professionals or, you know, they're just not accustomed to seeing someone do something that's not of the quote unquote norm. And, you know, when people start looking at people in general, and this even includes the disability community as a whole, as human beings and not as, you know, second class citizens or forget-me-nots or you know okay you're subhuman no no one's subhuman no one's a forget-me-not 
they're a, a person. They just were born a little different than you. And if you can stop and look at what you have in common with the person instead of the differences, you would find that you have more in common with that person than you realize. And I always ask the question to people like myself, I'm blind, and I'll ask you the same question. Mm -hmm. Why do you suppose it's the case that people do not get it? Because they've never walked in our shoes before. They're frightened of something that they know nothing about. They hear all these like myths of, oh, well, you can hear better than an average human. That's not true. We hear the same as you do. We just use our ears differently than you do. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is not everyone that's in the blind community is totally blind. There are so many different uh, facets of sight loss that it's unreal. You got people that have sight loss, but they can still drive a car. It's not 100% impaired. You have people like me that are partial. You have people that have light perception. But what they fail to realize that light perception, you can't see your fingers you can't see your face in the mirror. You only can see light and dark and shadows. And they still declare that, and I don't know why they do, but they do. Um, You know, um, visually impaired, and it's not, because if you can't make out your two fingers in front of you, you're blind. You know, you might see flashes of this and that, but that, you see what I'm saying? That doesn't constitute for much. I do. I do. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's, but at the same time, there is what I call a silent war between totally blind people and visually impaired people because a lot of people that either they were born totally blind or they were born with, you know, maybe macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, glaucoma, Leber's, you know, whatever, whatever um, vision problem they may have. And let's say over time they lose their sight completely. Then, okay, they know what it was like to see. And yes, it's like a funeral that you're having. You know, you're going to have a funeral because you no longer can see what you used to. Absolutely. And so, and so then you have to go through the mourning process and all that type of stuff. And I, I mean, I can't relate to that because I haven't experienced that. Now, I have experienced losing readable vision. But when it comes down to looking at my dresser, yes, I can describe to you what my dresser looks like and everything, clearly. I just can't, you know, I can see the bottles that's on my, um, the spray bottles that's on my dresser. But I can't read them unless I pick it up and bring it close to me in order to be able to read it. Makes perfect sense. but But for some people, it's hard for them because they feel bitter. And they think that if you're partial, that you're treated differently than they would be treated. And what they fail to realize is that they clump us all in the same boat. They don't see a difference. They either assume that you can see like them or you can't see at all. And that's not the case. And so when they see you trying to cross the street or they see you with your dog or they they want to try to help you, uh, but at the same time, they feel a little apprehensive and frightened due to 
not knowing how to communicate. And so sometimes they'll yell in your face and you're like, excuse me, I can't see you very well, but I can hear you just fine. I'm not deaf. I just have a vision problem. <laughs> and so when you say that, you know, I mean, because once again, a lot of it is due to lack of exposure. They, they look at everything from a visual perspective and that is all. Until it happens to them, Otis, they will never fully understand. And even if they have someone that has a vision problem, I guarantee you, if they had another person in the family that had a different disability, that person with the different disability is going to be treated a hell of a lot better than the person that has the vision problem. Makes perfect sense to me, Chanel. Thank you so much for that explanation. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Your polylingual journey. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. How did it get started? Um, I've always been interested in languages ever since I was little. Uh, my first language, aside from English, was American Sign Language, and that was because my mother, um, I had a lot of energy. And I also had uh, paralysis issues and epilepsy when I was a kid, and I grew out of both of them. However, um, she wanted me to learn something because, you know, my mother only had a seventh grade education. So ever since I was four, she taught me how to read large print. So I knew how to read since I was four. So that that kicked off my love of learning. And I've always loved to learn. And um, she had a friend that had a daughter that was taking classes in sign language. And so she asked her, could she teach me? And I had picked it up pretty well, and I had became highly proficient at it. Um, but over time, when you don't use it, you lose it. So I, I know enough still to be able to have a basic conversation and do some finger spelling. But I'm not around a lot of deaf people. So, you know, that was my second language. My third language was Spanish. And I learned it all by ear. Um, and it took me 16 months because I, I took all four semesters. 1010 to 2020, and then um, I, I just had Como um Edition 6, and I had like three different tutors. Um, I would spend like 12 and a half hours a week in, in school with the Spanish, and that was two and a half hours worth of class time, and then the other 10 hours was in the learning center. I pretty much could have parked my bed up in there. That's how much I was in there. Um, and that wasn't just for that class, I, I kid you not. But I did very well. I, I took all my tests auditorily. So I would go into the professor's office and he and she would ask me questions and I would respond in Spanish. And I wound up getting all B's. But I, Spanish was not my love language. My love languages were Italian, French, and Russian. And because I did not um, learn any of those in college, um, I took Spanish because I needed it for a degree requirement, but I fell in love with the culture and the people and the music and the dancing and the food. And so I got my hands on Jennifer Lopez and Enrique Iglesias and Ricky Martin, Shakira, Christina Aguilera and Santana. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I've been listening to them for over 20 years. Good stuff. I, good stuff. Yeah. And plus I have a, a godparent that's half Puerto Rican, half black. So, you know, I mean, I would, I can understand Spanish very well. I'm highly proficient in Spanish. My Spanish might suck right now as far as speaking it, but I really don't care because, you know, it was 
something that I, I had to take for a degree requirement. It wasn't something that I was like 100% passionate about. And then I, I fast forwarded to 2014 when I enrolled in conversational Spanish courses, two of them. And I finished both of those in nine weeks because I had taken Spanish 10, 12 years prior to that. So, I mean, I didn't lose any of it. I just uh, wanted to work on the vocabulary side. The teacher that had me, she was um, fluent in French and Spanish. And she taught them at the Hadley School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Online. So I, I had done my first distance course and she, she encouraged me to keep going and learning more languages. So then I went online and I was watching this video on YouTube about this guy named Michelle Thomas who had this method and then I saw these, you know, uh, links for like uh, Russian, a Russian course. I guess someone had uploaded it and they weren't supposed to and uh, I just started listening to it. And I took to it like a duck to water. So then I found it at the library and used it. And then I went and I bought the course, which was like $170 and at the time. And um, I just started teaching myself and finding different um, materials like the Memorize app to use. And I uh, went on Facebook and joined groups. Um, having to do with the language and, and groups having to do with people that spoke languages and I didn't know anything about polyglots or what a polyglot was and I was just very green and so um, I wound up teaching myself by myself and um, it took me two and a half years I did a year of speaking um, and recording myself and putting it on Facebook and getting feedback and then I did a year of listening to like Russia Today channel and and I would just put that on the background from 6 a.m. to midnight for a whole year. And by the time I was done after two and a half years, I wound up um, becoming like highly, I had mastered the language in regards to speaking and listening and understanding. I really didn't work on the writing aspect because my whole goal was to be able to verbally communicate with people. And then I, you know, French came easy to me. Dutch came easy to me. Italian came easy to me. And then um, I started making friends in the community with all these other people. And someone said, you give so much advice. Why don't you create your own um, show? So my good friend from Actual Fluency, Chris Brohall, who lives in Portugal, he's a Danish um, speaker. He speaks, his English is excellent. Um, he told me, he said, you know, you should do a show yourself. You're really good. And so... Um, he had recommended this app called the Anchor app. And I just decided one day, just on a whim, to, you know, open up this app, download it, and create my first episode. And this was like, it'll be four years on May 3rd that I've been uh, uh, with my own show called Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I, I did a couple episodes and I took a month and a half off. Because I wanted to think about how I wanted to structure the podcast and did I want to do interviews or just talk about myself or both. So I decided to do both and then I reached out to all my polyglot friends online and said, hey, can you help me? Um, I need to interview people. And they all came and they all were kind and gracious to want to you know, help me 
um, and come on the show. And I started, you know, um, making a name for myself. Now I'm in 127 countries, 47 states, and I have 22.7K listeners. And wow. it's almost four years. And then wow. I, I, yeah, and then I decided two years ago to do a cooking podcast because I take so many pictures of my food and I'm always giving out recipes. So I said, I'll, I'll do that. And I mean, I have like probably almost 60 recipes so far, but um, I want to make a cookbook out of it eventually. But um, I decided that, uh, you know, as of January 1 to go vegan. Mm-hmm. And so I left all dairy and all meat products, and I'm doing very well. I, I'm at 72 days now, and as a vegan. Congratulations! And, oh, thank you. So, so now, um, you know, I'm doing the vegan thing, the animal rights thing, uh, the environment thing, the human rights issue thing, disability, and you know, the podcasting. And I said I, I can incorporate my veganism and my language learning at the same time, and. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm doing that and you know teaching myself how to cook different foods, you know, in a healthy way and people love my recipes and you know, I during this whole pandemic, you know, I uh, also wound up collaborating with the Michelle Thomas method out of uh, London, England and as an affiliate marketer along with utalk.com, which is a language learning company out of London. And then out of Japan, Innovative Language Learning that does the POT 101 series of languages. Um, and so um, I'm doing that, you know, part-time and, you know, making a little bit of money. I mean, I'm going to be honest, you better have at least 100 episodes in before you decide to go and do, um, you know, affiliate marketing for people. Make sure that the the product that you want to talk about is something that's 100% accessible. Um, you know, and I mean, I'm going to be honest, there are language learners that are blind out there and there are people that speak multiple languages, like at least two. And, you know, you're going to have, you know, your detractors and your haters and trust me, I have a few. And, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I don't, you know, I said, you know, we can agree to disagree on, on a few things because I know people that speak more than 10 languages to very high levels. And I said, just because you ran into a few people that you saw is not 100% proficient, because there's a difference between fluency and proficiency. Fluency okay. is how it flows out of your mouth. Fluency is how the language flows out of your mouth. So how smooth it flows. That has nothing to do with the amount of information that you acquire. That's proficiency. So when you're highly proficient at something, that means you know a lot about that subject matter. Now, translation means documentation. So when you're trying to translate a document from French to English, you see what I'm saying? Yes. It's not going to always come out 100% word for word because in every language they have their own words and phrases that mean something to their culture and their their group of people so it's not it's not going to always come out to be something that is going to be word for word it's just not you know there's just certain 
certain phrases that means what it means to them and them alone. Mm -hmm. So I have to tell people that. You want a translator. So you want someone to translate documents, right? Yes. Okay. Now, an interpreter is somebody that interprets what is being spoken out loud. So if you're in a room with somebody and they're speaking Japanese, you have someone to the left or the right of them about five to 10 feet away listening to everything that is being said by the person that is speaking in that language and what you are doing is you're speaking from Japanese to English and then the exact the person that's on this opposite side of the room he's doing the exact opposite so what you're doing is you're giving the person that's the English speaker what they're saying from the Japanese speaker in English and vice versa so that's how that works now you can listen to what the person said and you can do what's called simultaneous interpreting which means that you're speaking at the same time as the the person who is um, speaking or you can wait listen to everything they said and then repeat it back so you have two different options there's conference interpreting and simultaneous interpreting. And so when you're doing conference interpreting, you're in a room with a person like it's probably like a business meeting or, you know, in, in that nature. And by the way, they do make some serious money. But you need to understand if you wind up um, misinterpreting words and you're not up to date with with the info, um, you can be sued and held liable for that. Yes. <laughs> Yes, really? yes, especially if it's court related, government related, and medical related. Mm hmm. Okay. That's why they have different courses for, um, you know, you can do court interpreting, you can do medical interpreting, and those are two separate, different certifications. Okay. You know, okay. and so, I mean, I, I always have to tell people that because. It, they, even, even the linguists out there and the polyglots, they will sit up there and they will purposely <laughs> misuse these words. And I was like, well, translation is documents. Mm -hmm. It's what's on the paper. And you get per paid word by word, by the way. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, for that. And then, you know, and then, um, and that's a tedious job. So it just depends on what languages, you know, they need you for and all that type of stuff. And how long you have to do the assignment and so forth and so on and that's how you get paid and then the other one is I believe hourly so I think the let the the most amount of money that you might wind up like some people are getting paid like $180 an hour uh, it just depends um, I know if you work for the UN you're gonna be making some bank um, but at the same time they only can do like maybe 20 to 30 minutes mm -hmm. Um, and then they have to rotate the person because um, someone tried to do it for 75 minutes and it like overloaded their brain. Wow. So yeah. how many languages are you fluent with at this point in time? As far as proficiency. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I would say comfortable. Yes. Three. Okay. Uh, it was four, but like I said before, I haven't used sign language in years. So, you know, 
But then um, the other Italian and French passively, I'm probably at a B2. Okay. Um, which is upper intermediate. Um, and if I were to speak them, it'd probably be my French, I would say B1, my Italian, maybe A2. Um, right now, I am teaching myself Ukrainian. Okay. Um, and, and solidarity to my Ukrainian friends because of what's going on over there. Um, and, and I, you know, my heart and prayers go out to all involved because there are no winners in this. Mm -hmm. There, I mean, everyone is losing somebody. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're from Russia. It doesn't matter if you're from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame anybody for this except one person. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so, but at the same time, you know, I will have to say, um, in regards to languages, people are very welcoming. If you just learn a few of their words, in their language they are very happy that you want to learn about their culture and so because a lot of people think that when they travel oh well i only have to speak english uh no honey when you go outside the capital they don't speak it <laughs> they speak whatever they speak whatever language they speak right number right. one and number uh -huh. two you know, like I tell people all the time, okay, when you go over to someone's backyard, which I mean their country, yes, you better know the laws, the cultural norms, the customs, how they dress, how they behave. And if you're disabled, you really better know if they have any laws for people that are disabled. Mm -hmm. if, if, if you have a guide dog, you know, okay, is there a quarantine process? Is there um you know policy that you have to go by how many shots you gotta have okay because of COVID now how long you gotta be quarantined so basically you, you just because you think you want to take a two-week vacation that ain't happening mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. better have a month and a half right right you know and and because two weeks might be just as a prime example of you being on lockdown and then you can spend the rest of the time doing whatever you want after that but it's just the point that things have changed so much. You know, you have to be careful, especially if you're a woman. You know, and then make sure you know a little bit of the language so you will be able to get vibe. Know some survivor skills. Know how to ask how much is something. Um, what What is this? Um, how much is this? Um, or how to order food. How to ask for directions. You know, um... You know how to get a taxi or a metro or whatever you know because that's important those things are very important like know your travel um vocabulary your food vocabulary um even if you're buying toothpaste and lotion deodorant know those things at least be able to speak at like maybe a, a2 which is like a thousand words i mean because to be honest if you know that you can get by a hell of a lot better than some people. If you just go in there knowing only English, oldest, you're going to be scammed. You're going to be ripped off. No. This way, this way. <laughs> Those are some good tips, but I mean, how would someone, I guess in a sense, take advantage or do those things in such a short period of time? How would you recommend that they do that if the time period is short for them to do that? Does that make um, well, sense in a mask? Yeah, well, yes, there are. There are ways you can skip around. So basically, okay, if you're only going there for two weeks, three weeks tops, 
you know, just uh, there are uh, ways where you can learn survival phrases like, okay, I, um, I will give you guys the contact information for um, my um, affiliate links that I have um, for innovative language. And I, I'm affiliated with all 34 of their languages. So I can give you a couple of those links. And they have survivor um, vocabulary and phrases that you can learn just to go on vacation. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And this way, this way, you're not going to be sitting there like, do 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 <laughs> No, you're not going to do that. Because people have gotten scammed. Like, mm -hmm. if, a, if, a, if a loaf of bread is $1.50, they're going to charge you $7 because you're American. And they think, you're rich, you're rich. No. Right. No, I'm right. not rich. Not by far. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, and that th those types of things do help, you know, asking for being able to ask for help in the language or, you know, I mean, and then if you don't know the word, you can point. Right. You know, or, or you know, or mm -hmm. make gestures. Like if you're talking about toothbrush, you can make the gesture for how to brush your teeth. Yes. And they'll know exactly what you're talking about. So... Those things are very helpful. You know, make, make a friend. Mm -hmm. Make a friend. Find, find somebody in the, you know, online if you're going and, and start up a friendship before you even get there. Yes. That way you know somebody. I mean, because a lot of people, they will go traveling and they'll go and then they'll complain because they'll say this is the worst country in the world when it really isn't. You just don't know their language. Right. Makes you're, sense. Assuming, you're assuming that English is just going to get you by, and that's not the case. That's, like, kind of ignorant, really. Right. You know, I, I mean, I, I learned a little bit of Thai just to order some food in a restaurant here in Akron once. And it took me 20 minutes. I was in a car with my friend. She shut up so I can do it. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and and she and I went in there and I didn't speak any English. This is my little my little routine. Mm -hmm. And I didn't speak any English. I went in there, I gave produce to Buddha, and then I went in there and I ordered me some top some Thai tea, which was really good by the way. Very sweet. And then I ordered me some Singapore noodles with chicken at the time, because I wasn't vegan yet. And I, she invited me to come to a Buddhist temple after that little conversation. And it was a little bit, you know, uh, right. only a little. And so that goes a long way. So, you know, I tell people, even if you know how to say hello, thank you, nice to meet you, my name is, you know, little things like that, mm -hmm. you know, um, that goes a long way. It really does. And, and you, you should see the look on their faces. That's the part that I love, watching people's faces glow. Because, you know, they don't expect you to learn their language. You know, they come here yes. to, to get a better life for themselves, but they definitely don't expect you to learn it. Yes, makes perfect you know? sense. Like so, and I mean, people don't even know there's over 400 languages spoken in the U.S., not just Spanish and English. And, and, you know, I mean, these people come over from some really war-torn countries and different places in order to start over. And, and look at what they do to build, rebuild their lives. They don't care if they're working at a factory making soap and packaging it or they're a cashier at a grocery store. Some of them want that because the places where they came from, they didn't make very little, they made very little money 
less money than what our minimum wage is nationwide. Mm -hmm. So for them, that's a dream come true. Right. And right. so, you know, I, when I'm doing my show and I'm talking about my own experiences and the experiences of other people, you know, I know it helps people. Like I've met people on Clubhouse who have heard my show and love my show and love what I do. And it just gives me so much pleasure to know that they enjoy what I'm doing, you know, and I, I'm not doing it for money or fame. I'm doing it because I, I want to help people. Makes perfect sense to me. Chanel, you have also some involvement in some language learning courses. Am I correct about that or is that is yes. that a mistake? Oh no 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 no. I, I'm affiliated I'm affiliated with um the Michelle Thomas method out of uh, London, England in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm affiliated with utalk.com and I'm affiliated with innovative language learning as well. Okay. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, as a person who has experienced so much um, and has um, met a lot of people, mm -hmm. what I like to do as I wrap up interviews is mm -hmm. ask my guest, what is your definition of the word boundless? Endless energy, endless um, you're not limited to anything, pretty much. You, the sky's the limit, pretty All much. Right. You, you, you can do what you put your, your mind to, you know, you're not, you're not, um, restricted to only one thing. You can do many things. Perfect. Perfect. I yes. like that. I like yeah. that. So, Chanel, it has been awesome to have you as a guest. Now, what I would like for you to do is to share any contact information that you would want our listeners to know about here on the podcast. Okay, if you would like to reach me, <laughs> um, I am at Chanel Patrice Hancock, C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E. P-A-T-R-I-C-E-H-A-N-C-L-C-K at Facebook.com. I'm also at Chanel.Hancock at Twitter.com. Um, I have a group on Clubhouse called Chanel's Lang Lounge at Clubhouse.com. I have a group on Facebook called Chanel's Language Learning Journey Mastermind at Facebook.com. I have Chanel Languages underscore learning at Instagram.com. I have, um, if you're, you know, like on Anchor, you can go to Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast, C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E -L -L -E apostrophe S, Language Learning Journey podcast. And you can also go to The Blind Vegan for my cooking um, podcast as well. And I'm on Spotify. I'm on TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. And if um, you would like to get 
um, 35% off of any of the Michelle Thomas Foundation courses, you can go to M-I-C-H-E-L-T-H-O-M-A-S dot C-O-M and put the promotional code A-F-M-T-C-H-N and you will get 35% off of any of the 16 languages that the Michelle Thomas people have to offer. And if you want to get 20% off of any of the 145 languages that Utah has to offer, you can type in U-T-A period L-K slash C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E. And then once you type that in and you click on it, you're going to, it's going to take you to my page on Utah, and then you sign up you pick the language or languages you want and you can subscribe to a monthly yearly or bi-yearly subscription of any or all of the languages for 20 percent off and that actually um, i actually get a percentage of that as well okay so thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast it's been a pleasure to have you here um and thank i wish you, so you all much. the best going forward okay Oh, thank you. To learn more about what I do, I encourage you to visit my website at www.olwjboundless.com. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast mailing list. Also, follow me on Instagram at O underscore Wilson underscore Jr. Follow me on Twitter at OLWJBoundless.com. But on that website, what I want you to do is take a look at that financial wellness link. There you can invite me to do a financial wellness workshop for your school, your church, or your place of business. Or hey, I can sit down with you and your family for a financial wellness appointment. Okay, so check that out and we can work something out. Any comments, feedback? Or suggestions regarding this podcast is welcome. For a motivational speaker, Les Brown once said, It's okay to fail because if you land on your back, you can look up and then get up. Until next time, take care.